The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Questions about IMC or about happy hour that I could answer? So one thing that Gil Fronstel, who is the founding teacher of IMC, um, says is that IMC, um, you're a member if you want to be a member. So there's nothing required of you. There's no commitment. But if you want to belong, you belong. Right? So IMC is all of ours. It's an... um, I think set up in this beautiful way of all... Everything is based on donation. All of the labor is donated labor. All of the offerings are offered freely. So the Sangha is run by us all by volunteers. So all the teachers and all the housekeeping and all the webs, web updating, all of it is done by a volunteer. And so if you have any inclination in volunteering, there's always a place for you as well. So, um, and I think, I hope you all will feel safe and comfortable participating tonight to whatever extent feels good for you. And to feel you're a part of it as much as you feel comfortable being a part of the Sangha. The Sangha in Buddhism is a community, right? People who follow the teachings of the Buddha and practice the teachings of the Buddha. So, that's where we are. And it looks like it's time for me to sort of shift more into the, the sharing I have tonight. And um, but I'm very happy to see you and happy to have so many new people here and love the term happy hour. Um, so hopefully it will be a happy hour for all of us together. So, so uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya um, Sutta number 99, it's called Soba Sutta. And Soba is a student a Brahmin student, and um, the term soba means abundant, no, it means shining, bright, and beautiful, kind of auspicious, which is, I think, um, when I am reading through the sutta, quite interesting, because the the Brahma Viharas, um, metta, loving kindness, is one of the Brahma Viharas taught in Buddhism, and it, you know, they're beautiful, they're considered auspicious. So the name of the student um, it sort of corresponds with the the core teachings in the sutta, but there are several teachings um, in the sutta, and um, so, like I said, um, Soba is a student, a Brahmin student, so he's not a student of the Buddha, um, and so Brahmins. It's a caste in India that had long maintained membership by lineage, by birth. And the Buddha's um, Sangha did not have anything to do with lineage or birth. It had everything to do with people's behavior and practice. Um, but So this is a different group of practitioners. And so, but the student um, was in, in the area where the Buddha happened to be living at the time. And he was interested um, in visiting. He had heard that there was there were arahants present in this area, 
And the person he was staying with said, well, you could go see the, the Blessed One, the Buddha. So he decided to go meet Master Gautama, the Buddha. And um, so he meets with the Buddha and he says, Master Gautama, the Brahmins say, um, so he's you know engaging him in this dialogue, he has this question, and he says that the Brahmins say that the householder is the one accomplishing the true way, the true way to enlightenment, the Dhamma that is wholesome. The one gone forth into homelessness is not accomplishing the true way. This is what they're taught as Brahmins. What does Master Gautama say about this? And the Buddha said, Student, I speak about this after making an analysis. I do not speak about this one-sidedly. I do not praise the wrong way of practice on the part of either a householder or one who has gone forth. For whether it be a householder or one gone forth, one who has entered on the wrong way of practice by reason of his wrong way of practice is not accomplishing the true way. So, But he praises, the Buddha goes on to say, I praise the right way of practice on the part of either the householder or the one gone forth. And when I read this, I felt a lightning in my heart, a happen, you know, the sense of, okay, I'm a householder, <laughs> right? And so, you know, the Buddha is here speaking and saying, you know, you don't, you don't have to go forth. You don't have to give up everything. You don't have to become a monk or a nun, you know, the path is not about that. It's about how we live, how we show up. For whether it be a householder or one gone forth, one who has entered on the right way of practice, meaning not right and wrong, but using the right tools, right? So when the Buddha uses the word right, it's not as in, um, it's like the right hammer for the right tool kind of idea, right? Not... Not one person um, is, you know, like it's, it's, it's not about judgment, it's about effectiveness, I, would, I think. The results, it's connected to results. And that person who engages by reason and by way of right practice is accomplishing the true way, the Dhamma that is wholesome. And this is how we know if, if we're practicing the, the Dhamma well, as if it has a wholesome result. So they go on a little bit more, and a little bit later, the student says, Master Gotama, the Brahmins say this, since the work of the household life involves a great deal of activity, great functions, great engagements, and great undertakings, it is of great fruit. There's lots of benefit, is what the fruit is referring to. Since the work of those gone forth involves a small amount of activity, small functions, small engagements, and small undertakings, it is of small fruit, small benefit. So, you know, if you're homeless, or you take the path of homelessness, um, and you engage in very little, you do a lot of meditation, you know, you, do, you keep it simple. You're not hosting big parties and shopping and doing all these other things, right? And you go and you have your beggar's bowl and you go and you receive... Dana from the community to eat. So you're, not, you're doing little. And the Buddha says, 
Again, I speak about this after making an analysis. I do not speak about it one-sidedly. And he goes on to say, there's, there's work involving a great deal of activity, great functions, great engagements, and great undertakings, which, when it fails, is of small fruit. So you could be a householder and doing all these amazing things and have very little benefit. And the same could be true and it would have very great benefit. So you can do a lot and have a big effect or you can do a lot and have a small effect. That's what the Buddha is saying. And then he says there, are some, there is work that you can do that requires very little activity, small amounts. And it will bear small fruit. But there's also work that involves a small amount of effort, small function, small activity. And when it succeeds, it's of great fruit. And he went on to sort of, just sort of give the example of agriculture, household life, and um, trade, right? And so you can see that sometimes farmers have big crops and sometimes they don't, right? And when you have a trade deal, sometimes you great, greatly benefit and sometimes you lose. And so he's comparing and just saying, again, he's looking at things not from a one-sided perspective. All right. So they go on and... Um, the um, there's a conversation um, about them between them, and the Buddha essentially um, starts to say and challenge the wisdom of the Brahmins. And he says, "Is there anyone among you, any one of you, that um, can declare that they have realized, you know, enlightenment?" essentially. And, and he goes on to say, there, you know, there, there's not a single teacher, no one, back for seven generations, who thus says, I declare the result of the following, you know, of following their path. I, you know, there's no one that can say with direct knowledge, I have been liberated. And so the Buddha goes on to say, so in regard to their statement, the Brahmins seem to be like a f- file of blind men The first one does not see, the middle one does not see, and the last one does not see. And when this was said, the the Brahmin student, um, Subha, was angry and displeased with the simile of the file of blind men. And he reviled, disparaged, and censored the blessed one, saying, the recluse recluse Gotama will be worsted. But the Buddha persisted and talked with him some more. And he proceeded to educate him about the five hindrances. And are you familiar with the five hindrances? Probably not. But, so I'll just suffice it to say, instead of getting off on a tangent, um, that he went through several very important teachings of the Buddha that are very supportive teachings for reaching um, enlightened mind. And... um, and he, the Buddha said that, you know, the, the main teachings of the Brahmins, they had um, five things that they were supposed to follow. Um, I'm looking for my list. They were um, to be truthful, um, to study the Dharma, 
to be celibate, to be generous, and and to be an ascetic, right? To renounce. So the Buddha's saying, you know, you, there's in the Brahmins study and practice these are the things that you follow and do and these are said to be the things that will lead to good result and the buddha says so nobody yet nobody's reached enlightenment nobody has had clear experience so what i let me tell you what i call these things he says he said i call them the equipment of the mind that is for developing a mind that is without hostility and without ill will. So here a student, a bhikkhu, is a speaker of the truth. Thinking I am a speaker of truth, he gains inspiration. So I want to point out two things. He's a speaker of the truth and he acknowledges and recognizes he is a speaker of truth. So we both, and with the Buddha, it's very important to both do and to know we're doing, to acknowledge it, right? And by doing this, we gain inspiration, meaning, right? And gladness connected to the Dhamma. And he goes on to say the same thing about all the different five um, practices. And, um, let's see, I didn't number my pages. (laughs) Okay, so I am here. Okay. Yeah. So then, so Asuba hangs in there with Gotama as he's teaching him all these things. And, and then he says, okay, you know, um, you're saying all of this, and I've heard that the recluse Gotama teaches the path to the company of Brahma. And it would be good if Master Gotama would teach me the path to the company of Brahma. And so the Buddha says, then student, listen, and attend closely to what I shall say. And the student says, yes, sir. And the Blessed One says, What student is the path to the company of Brahma? Here, a bhikkhu abides, pervading one quarter of a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise, the second, so... If you imagine a head split in four this way, they teach it so you abide with one quarter, the first quarter, filled with loving kindness. Just take a minute right now to imagine this quarter of your head just completely saturated with loving kindness. Likewise, the second. So feeling the sense of warmth or love spreading to this side. Likewise, the third, back here. And likewise, the fourth. So, above, below, around, 
and everywhere. As to all, as to himself. So, he's abiding, right? Filling one quarter of the mind with loving kindness, the second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, above, below, around, everywhere, for all, and for himself. And he he abides pervading and the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness. It's abundant, it's exalted, it's immeasurable, it's without hostility and without ill-will. And when the deliverance of mind by loving-kindness is developed in this way, the Buddha says, no limiting action remains here. So nothing that we would do would be harmful. It wouldn't limit our capacity to reach enlightenment. Just as a vigorous trumpeter could make himself heard without difficulty in the four quarters, so too, when the deliverance of mind by loving kindness is developed in this way, no limiting action, no unwholesome action remains there. Nothing persists in this way. And this is the path to the company of Brahma, Great One or Arahant. So what do you think of this idea of um, the, the idea of it being what was the equipment of the mind? Equipment so you know these practices our equipment of the mind. What do you think when you hear that? How does that resonate for you? Anybody have any reaction, thoughts? We might need the microphone if anybody is going to speak. I like the idea of having equipment for my mind, right? In a simple way, it's sort of a maybe not exactly easy to relate terminology in some ways, but really a lot of the practices the Buddha offers us, they they when we work with them, when we use them, they are like equipment. They are they do set things in motion. They do create mind states. They do create heart spaces. So we, it's a practice, a practice that helps generate and create, um, my, you know, mind states and clarity and insight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one question. Hello, can you yes. hear me? Yes, thank you. Um, one question I have is regarding equipment and kind of loving kindness practices and imagining, um, yeah. you know, uh, filling different spaces with uh, synthetic joy and different kinds of brahmaharas. Is um, I sometimes have trouble understanding how this equipment isn't simply uh, kind of a, an avoidance of what is happening, you know, because mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. It, it feels to me almost like it's a way to um, maybe not engage with experience because maybe you're feeling 
it can well, be. And then, you know, you're doing it can be. To, yeah. So that's my question. It can be. Yeah. It can be, you know, it can be used as a way to spiritually bypass or deny or avoid. It can be that, right? If we, it, it really depends on our intention and what, how we sit down and when we use it. And, and um, you know, we're not, we're householders, right? I think everybody here is a householder, right? So we're, we haven't gone forth. We're not living the homeless life. We're not monks and nuns. And so we're going to, we need to deal with life, right? And relationships in ways that um, are more complicated than perhaps um, the monks and nuns. But um, it can be skillful. It can still be skillful. If you're angry, if you're hurt or upset, and you know you're not in a good mind state, right? It can still be very wise to practice like metta loving kindness. Because if you go and you sit down and you meditate and you practice loving kindness, when you're done, your mind state will be different than it was when you started. And then maybe you're in a better place to re-engage with whatever it is that was distressing or difficult for you. You may see it from a different perspective or have um, more resilience because you're not kind of burdened by distressing emotions that affect our mind states a lot. So it, it can be used in a way to help us, not to avoid, but perhaps maybe make us in a better put us in a better place to respond to life or our ourselves is that helpful feel free to you know if you have more clarifying questions or more ways to you know bring that out the question the concerns out please okay yeah it was great i appreciate your question any other thoughts I love responding, so I'm going to be encouraging it. Yeah. Great. Will you pass the mic right over here? Maybe this is just because I don't understand enough of the history. I didn't ever think the point was to be with Brahma. That's well, kind of new to me. So the um, let me so in in Hinduism it's defined as the creator, but in Buddhism it's um, I actually if I can find the definition I actually for this purpose uh, wrote it down. Um, so, but it has it it's uh, been adapted. But I, I, and maybe I wrote brought the wrong copy. So it does not mean a god, but more think of it as an arahant. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. Well, there's the Brahmin class, which I talked about. Um, Someone who is fully enlightened, completely enlightened. So there's stages of enlightenment in the Theravada tradition. Yeah. Great. Yeah, please. Kim, yeah. It's it's still helpful cuz people are listening elsewhere. I was curious you described um 
like the quality of metta as being immeasurable. Yes. I was wondering, what is that? I mean, why is that term used? Why is it immeasurable? Is there significance to it? Okay, well, I, have, I can answer um, from an unstudied mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in terms of looking up how that might be answered by a scholar. I don't know. Um, but that those terms, um, those descriptive terms, are used in this particular um, sutta, which we'll chant, right? And um, so this might actually be a really... Um, Okay. Uh, in the in the um, enchanting um, with in Buddhism, one of the um, purposes is is to sort of essentially study and learn, right, and um, to practice. Right, and so in a way, I relate to those terms as inviting the mind to uh, to sort of be, go beyond something that is measurable or defined to imagine and open to something that is much broader, bigger, brighter, and just that. Um, so, so in the chanting of it, as you're sort of connecting with each of the terms and the descriptions if you allow your mind to connect with that and to have a feeling of what that is, I think that it's part of um, the equipment of the mind or the way that we can open, help the mind open to this other state of being. Does that feel like a... Yeah. Okay. So... Now, I, am, I thought maybe this would be good for me to talk about chanting a little bit before we go into chanting. And like, I feel like the forgetful professor or something. That's, I just had the... Um, hmm. Weird. So... I know, right? Oh, here. Okay. All right. So chanting is common to any religion. Um, So it's true of Buddhism, too. Um, But the aim and purpose of chanting is different from, from one religion to another. And Buddhism is unique in that chanting is not considered prayer, which it is in other religions. Um, And so the Buddha... um, wants us to have confidence in our own actions, in our own, in the results of our actions. And um, so he's not asking us, you know, or encouraging us to ask somebody else to, like a God, to fix things for ourselves. We're not asking to be saved from evil or be put in heaven or anything else. But instead, it's, it's used to teach around learning, philosophizing, memorizing the discourses. So this is the primary purpose of, of chanting. Um, it also has other positive effects, which I'll ask you to notice and see what effects chanting has for you after we're done, right? So, um, And it's said that there are five categories of people who make use of the discourses and do chanting. The first one um, 
uses it for the sake of study without putting it into practice. So we can study these things and just be curious and learn. Or the second one is we can, you know, preach or teach what we've learned from the discourses, but we don't necessarily follow it. The third way is to philosophize, right? Um, it can be very fun to philosophize, and um, but we forget to make use of it as a mode of life, what we're teaching and understanding. The fourth is one who chants the discourses to make them kind of last in their memory, memorizes and rememorizes, but nevertheless they do not go further with them in their daily life. And, and that person might be somebody who's prone to have some, ma- think there's magical power from chanting. And the fifth and last one is one who is said to study the discourses to teach them to others, to reflect on the philosophical points, to chant them regularly, but above all, to engage them actually as practices in daily life. That this is the one that Buddha praises as the practitioner of the Dharma, which he has learned from the discourses. And so this is my invitation for us all tonight, is to um, walk through this and think about, study, and reflect, and connect with the meaning, and invite ourselves to think about what would it be like to practice this in our daily lives? How could this, um, how could this guide us? How could it be used as a tool? Will you help? I don't know. I made twenty copies, so. So I'll, while Richard's passing that out, um, I'll read some, some other thoughts about chanting. Regular chanting gives us confidence, joy, and satisfaction and increases devotion within us. This devotion is really a power. It is called the power of devotion. It energizes our life in general. I do not know about others, but for me, I have often had a joyous feeling when the chanting goes right. I become more confident of myself. I see it as a part of developing devotion. And um, I don't know how the word devotion kind of affects you, but for me, if I think about it as supporting my faith, right? And faith comes because of learning and seeing how result follows action. So if I do something kind, there's an effect, right? You know, if I let somebody cross the street in front of me and I'm in the right generous state of mind, there's a lightning in my heart. There's an uplift. There's a sense of knowing. They're going to make more copies. There's a sense of um, lightness that can come with that for me. And so we develop faith. We develop confidence um, by noticing the impact of things. So I want to invite you to notice the impact of our reflections here and the chanting that we'll attempt to do together. Um, so let's just take this through line by line. And maybe um, I'm going to invite people to reflect. And so the microphone, I'm going to ask people to, to just go ahead and turn it on. And then... 
I'm going to ask somebody to respond, and if you don't want to respond, that's not a problem. Just pass the microphone to the next person beside you, and um, and we'll see if anybody has a response or not. But you know, there's no pressure. It's, but just getting it moving sometimes helps. So, first line: I will abide pervading. One quarter with a mind imbued. So, just sort of just taking a second to feel this abiding word what is that feeling of abiding no I'm just going to walk through the lines right now so abiding and pervading so the feeling that that evokes the images or feelings or senses that invokes and then with one quarter right with that mind one quarter so for me pervading and abiding, abiding and providing, per- pervading. Sort of, there's a feeling here, an invitation to feel a sense of abiding is resting, a being, right? And pervading, there's almost a feeling of like um, softness, uh, expansiveness, right? Like fog rolling out. For me, this is the image that comes up. So, microphone pick up and pass or speak if you have any thoughts about these you know the mind imbued also that feeling of something being imbued <laughs> it's okay it's good good to pass the microphone we're sh- we're just sharing energy here it's all okay yeah think of abiding as adhering mm. mhm yeah nice thank you I just thought the whole thing was very nice, um, but hard for me to internalize. Right. Yeah. So hopefully we'll try and hopefully we're helping it soak in. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. So loving kindness. Right. So we're going to abide pervading one quarter with imbued with loving kindness So let's just take a moment, everybody, I want to encourage you to think about a moment, an experience you've had that felt loving and kind. Could be something really small, could be something amazing. But just take a moment to close your eyes and remember that experience. Just invite it into your being, into your space. Maybe remembering location, light, temperature, colors. Have a moment of loving kindness. Could just be a glance that you shared with somebody. Could be a hug, a grandmother or a pet. And just notice what happens in your body as you recall the feeling of receiving or offering loving kindness. So now I'm going to read the first line. Just hold that memory. I will abide pervading one quarter of the mind imbued with loving kindness. So letting that feeling be imbued, you know, be in the mind. Abide there. Be with that. And then the second part of the mind. And feeling it expand to the third part. Likewise, the fourth. Just inviting that memory to 
to pervade the mind, to imbue the mind, all of it. And then imagine above, the feeling extending beyond yourself, below yourself, all around, everywhere, as to all, as to myself. And then the commitment, I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with this mind that we've just cultivated, imbued with loving-kindness. In this abundant form, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without any ill-will or ill-intent. So just notice how you feel. Notice what's happening. It doesn't mean you're going to feel good necessarily. Sometimes when we engage in these practices, we might connect with other feelings like hurt or loss. So if that's happening for you or you just feel a block, it's really normal to have any of these kinds of things come up. So just notice what you're feeling and see if you can care, if you can bring a loving kindness and awareness to your own experience right now. Whatever it is. Right? Okay. Take a deep breath in. So I want to just see if there's anything that anyone wants to share before I attempt to chant. And I think what I will do is just chant the whole chant through one time. And then I'll attempt, maybe you can help me with Richard with, I'm not sure, do you think a call and response would work with this particular? I think you guys have it in writing. I think we can do it together after I do it once, right? All right, good. All right, so please... um, I'm going to try and chant from my heart. <laughs> so I hope what you can do is hear my love for this chant uh, more than my musical talent. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. So above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility 
and without ill will. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, and without ill will. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill-will. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving-kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill-will. One more time. I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving-kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth, so above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to myself. I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving-kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill-will. So just take a moment to close your eyes and feel your heart, feel your body. Just let the words, the chanting echo, be received, feeling the senses in the body.
So I have an invitation for you to make groups of small groups of four people. So if you could just sort of find people close to you and make a small circle, um, that would be really great. And if it's a group of five or three, it's all fine. No worries. So your next question as a group is to do the same go-round, but the question is, in this chant that we shared together, is there anything in this chant that points to a practice that you could use in your daily life that you think would be of benefit to you and to others? Is there any, anything in here for you that you would like to use as equipment for the mind to support yourself in daily life. So we'll just go ahead and start with the keep going in the same rotation that you guys had. Okay, please begin. Take a deep breath, and the next person can begin. Take a deep breath. And the next person begin, please.
And so some groups have three and some have four. So we're going to do one more minute. And then the groups of four, the last person, please share. And the groups of three, you can just kind of flow and share whatever you want. Please begin. And take a deep breath. And just take a moment to see and ask yourself, just let this question sort of drop in. Was there any benefit from me from being here tonight or in this small group? Is there any benefit for me that I want to highlight for myself that seems important? And when I ring the bell, I'm going to ask you to, if you're comfortable, each share what that would be, if you would like. Please begin. Next person. Next person, please. And in the groups of four, next person, please. Thank you. 
Okay. Thank your mates. <laughs> All right. So we are, you know, half a minute away from the end of our evening. And um, so I just want to say that I'll be available if anybody wants to check in afterwards. Um, has a question. And also, um, I want to dedicate the merit of our practice. So um, may all beings that, you know, as we leave here tonight, may, if there's any warmth, kindness in us that's a little extra, may we touch others, may we share that with others, may we cherish it and protect it and, and, and offer it freely to those that we come in contact with and that then may they carry it on to the next and next so that all beings everywhere benefit from our practice here together tonight. Thank you. Namaste.